Welcome to Better Leaders, the podcast, where we surface good leadership and smart management in media and beyond. Today, I'm talking to Renee Kaplan, Head of News at Arte. My name is Anita Zilina, and I'm your host. Welcome to Better Leaders. Renee, uh, thank you so much for being here with me today and uh, being a guest in the podcast. Thank you, Anita. I'm, I'm honored to be here. I really have been looking forward to this conversation and I'm delighted. Well, let's maybe start for the, the few of our listeners who might not be familiar with your name. Can you give us a short overview of what you currently do career-wise and the journey that basically led you there? A little bit about your background? Sure. What I currently do is actually an oddly um, hard question to answer because I am, as we speak, quite literally between jobs. Um, and the job I'm about to start is one that I'll be discovering. But the job I'm about to start is as director of news for Arte, which is a public European network that broadcasts digitally and terrestrially, sort of traditional TV network in, uh, in Francophone and, and Germanophone countries, um, and then digitally online in many other languages like English and Polish and Italian and Spanish, among others. And in some ways, that's actually the most traditional news management and editorially speaking, traditional job I've had in about 10 years, because it is running, it's running a newsroom of about a hundred people. And it's, Arte is a, is a generalist network with a big focus on culture, documentary and current affairs and politics. So I'll be running a lot of that news and, uh, and current affairs documentaries and, and long form report type content. But in a way, what makes it a very non-traditional job and connects it to what I have been doing for the past 10 years is that within that, I would say a chunky 40% of that, of that role, which is, which is a pretty big role, relatively speaking, is about transformation. And it's about digital transformation. And that's really what I have been focused on, you know, in, in this last third of, of, of my own career, which is, which is about 25 years now. Gosh. And in the digital transformation up ahead, I'll say a few words, but only a few because I, I, I don't really know much about it yet. It really does mean bringing a network that has an important, reach, but a, but a shrinking and aging reach, like all traditional networks and really making the mission, the editorial output, the journalism, the organization, the culture, the staffing and the product digitally relevant. And actually, you know, and wrapped up in that is of course a real kind of rethinking of what, of what the mission is and, and of what reach and impact for this public network looks like digitally versus terrestrially. So that's the new job. And, but for the past 10 years, I've really been focused on, on digital transformation. And that was after about 15 years of, of a traditional running newsroom job and, and, and starting out, you know, as a, as a print reporter in New York in the early aughts, I reported for the New York Observer, which was weekly and, um, then transitioned into broadcast television for, 
CBS News and CNN. I mean, really, this was in a, in a kind of slightly pre-digital world. I was a news producer and story developer and, uh, and then moved to Europe where I'm based now in 2006 to help launch what was then a still pretty traditional news network called France 24, which is again a, a public all news network. And, and I eventually ended up running the English language service of that network. But that is really when, and this will sort of conclude what's meant to be a rapid overview of my career, that role, which lasted about seven years, is really when I began to quite naturally and organically and just by virtue of doing it, encounter this thing that was going to be digital transformation. And that was discovering that actually suddenly we needed to be thinking culturally what it meant to be online, that the internet, which always lived sort of down the hall, up the stairs and around the corner, needed to be more integrated into the output, that social distribution and that weird thing called a social web and social media was increasingly a way to reach large audiences, which was an especially important part of, of, of a public network's mission. So, you know, mind you, this was, um, this was 10 years ago or more. And I then went on to the Financial Times where I was their first head of audience and insights. And at a time in 2015, when a lot of traditional print newsrooms and broadcast newsrooms were beginning to create that role, which was really a role mm. focused on digital transformation. So that's, and that's been my career for the past uh, eight or nine years at the FT. Amazing. And I'd like to, let's, let's maybe stay with the topic of digital transformation as basically like a little bit of the red thread of, you know, the past 10-ish years of your career. And let's talk a little bit about what you learned about leading that transformation and being a leader in those transformational situations in those organizations that are shifting and need to be shifted actively. What are some things that you, that you learned, potentially also learned the hard way? Sure. It's an excellent question because there's a way in which digital transformation as a mission, as a strategy, as a, as a job really was quite new when I started out doing it. And, and that seems ironic now because it, it's, 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 it's development and then its acceleration has been extraordinary. I mean, and just really concentrated, um, in the past, I would say five or six years. But, you know, when I started doing this in 20, 14, 2015, it really was quite new. And as such, and this may seem like I'm stating the obvious, but I kind of want to state it anyway, more than a lot of other aspects of a traditional legacy newsroom, it really demanded good leadership. Because the thing about change, and especially about change, the impact of which really is integral to the survival of a lot of media, it's scary. It's scary for everyone. It's often not welcome, or if there is a sense that it's necessary, there's a misunderstanding or just simply quite naturally ignorance about what it looks and feels like. There's a certain amount of anxiety wrapped up in what it will do to one's traditional roles and, and the expertise, especially you know, within journalism, where traditionally most roles have been focused on a kind of expertise. I mean, the, the generalist journalist, especially in legacy newsrooms, is quite rare, actually. And so this was really about a couple of things in terms of what I learned pretty quickly. I think both the hard way and, and also just by doing. It demands really good leadership. And good leadership means support from the top down of 
a media organization. So depending on how or whichever way your newsroom is structured, it really has to be transformation, something that the editor-in-chief, the CEO, the managing ever, whoever has the most influence or is seen as being indispensable or just credible in a newsroom must support the transformation in an explicit, literal way. And that may seem like saving the obvious, and it also may seem in itself traditional, but in a way that's really how it has to happen. Hmm. Because otherwise it's very easy for people to sort of opt out, to assume that it's someone else's job to carry on. And, you know, what what I, I think I learned the hard way to some extent was for all of getting people to buy in for really taking the time to learn the culture of a newsroom, to figure out how to speak their language and make the goals of transformation relevant to each role or each desk or each part of the newsroom or what was indeed in everyone's own interest. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's often how it works. There will always be not just resistance, but potentially even a certain amount of lack of respect or maybe the perception of, of the leadership and now increasingly specialized roles that are involved in digital leadership, not being the same, quite the same types of journalists as the more traditional ones. And that's still real and evolving. But it's important. It's important to take it on board and it's important to figure out how to manage that as well in the culture of a newsroom. And how do you personally, I mean, what are some learnings? How do you personally deal with that potential resistance, with that potential lack of respect wherever you encounter it? You carry on and you humor it. And I think that's where senior people in these roles are really important. That's where just a certain amount of basic general leadership experience is important because it does take a certain amount of fortitude and Mm. confidence. I'll be honest, it was indispensable to me at the beginning, as it is now, that the first 15 years of my career were spent in traditional newsrooms, doing traditional news jobs. And as it happened, quite well-known legacy newsrooms. That was helpful. That was helpful in inspiring, for better, for worse, in inspiring trust, in inspiring confidence, but also in in giving me confidence that ultimately this was a necessary part of the experience, that in a way it was a collaborative way to bring people to a place they didn't actually know they needed to get, and nor did they necessarily know that I was going to help them get there. And it's a little bit thankless sometimes, which is again, to circle back to sort of my initial point, why the top-down leadership aspect, the support from the very top-down is important because A, it's important to the perception of others in the newsroom, which you need in order to get people to buy in and do stuff that you want them to do. But it's also important to me, to you as a leader, to the person who's trying to bring a certain amount of change and innovation and an actual kind of a new type of leadership, confidence can flag. It can feel like a bummer. Every once in a while, you do lose sight of exactly where you want to go because change almost by definition is slow or lasting changes. So, you know, 
in the flagging confidence that everybody has in the course of a career, in the course of a month, in the course of a week, maybe in the course of a day sometimes, it's important to feel like you have support. Hmm. I do feel, I, I mean, you make it, you make it sound relatively smooth and easy in the sense of that I know you have this special kind of grit and persistence and willingness to drive that change. Was that always there or did you kind of deliberately learn that and acquire that? Did you always have that like drive? Because as I know you, you have that like grit of being like, I'm going to get this organization there. I'm going to get this team there, which I think is necessary if you're the person leading these large scale transformation efforts, because there's always going to be setbacks and there's always going to be, you know, disappointment. So you need to kind of keep mm -hmm. pushing. Did you have to make yourself like keep pushing or that's, is that kind of a natural Renee thing? That's an excellent question because I think you're absolutely right. I mean, in some ways, it's like you're almost kind of restating what I didn't quite realize I was stating, that you do have to have a certain amount of grit and persistence and fortitude in the face of a little, in not just in the face of resistance, but a little bit of sometimes kind of thanklessness or a sense of occasional sort of lack of appreciation or understanding of what you're doing. In my instance, and maybe this is why I was among the first generation of people in newsrooms who really invented these roles since we were the first to have them and own them, we had to create them. I think it was probably not a coincidence that yes, by nature, I am persistent. By nature, I do tend to assume that things will take hard work and that persistence, polite, calculated, strategic, diplomatic, collaborative, but persistence almost always important, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually, yes, it's my nature and it was absolutely helpful. And I wonder to some extent when I think back now to, you know, the hiring process around this role where I was hired actually by not just the head of digital at the FT at the time, who was the head of digital editorially speaking, but also by the managing editor and the deputy CEO. So it, it was already sort of perceived as being a different kind of role. And none of these people had ever hired this role before. So I think it probably was not coincidental that they ended up picking or offering the role to a candidate that was someone who had not just a certain amount of leadership experience, but a certain quality of comfortable risk-taking. I, I really think I did have a, not just a taste for it, but an ability to understand how to do it. And I think risk-taking, which is almost always built into digital transformation, if it's going to be successful, has to be supported by a certain amount mm. of persistence because it will often fail. How deliberate was that career planning? How deliberate were those moves? Did you Did you have that vision like early on of you wanting to be in charge of like large teams, large budget, a large newsroom, big strategic decisions? Was that kind of a path that was like laid out in your head? Anita, it really wasn't. And you know, it's funny. I've, people have asked me that before. And when I give that answer, they don't really tend to believe me. Maybe because my nature seems very focused and strategic and 
outcome driven and I'm a pretty good planner and, and I've got a track record of, of lots of different kinds of leadership from, you know, smaller teams to now this, you know, back to running a, a very big newsroom shortly. The reality is I actually followed my wants and desires and they weren't always actually job or career driven per se. For example, you know, my very first leadership role was one that I took on with zero leadership experience. And that was my very first job at France 24. I had gone from being a producer for CNN in New York, where I was head of story development, um, which was sort of the longer form development of our, or the development of longer form of productions at, at a, one of the nightly news shows for CNN. This is in 2005. And I moved to France in 2006 to help launch France 24. It was a brand new public network. And I came on board as, as a senior producer for news magazines. And I was running a team. I'd never run a team before, but it was brand new. It was complicated recruitment. It was a multilingual network. And I think they took a risk on me and I took a risk on that job, but I didn't take a risk on that job mostly because I wanted a leadership role that it was partly because that was an interesting risk for me personally to take and something that I would really learn yeah. from. I mostly wanted to move to France. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm Franco-American by nationality and I grew up in both countries. And I, I, I had always known in the back of my head and sort of in my heart that at some point in my career, I would move to France and I wanted to work there. And I wanted to sort of make part or some of my life there. And, you know, and I'd been in New York for eight or nine years at that point. I kind of mostly wanted to move back to France. So, you know, that, that's sort of what took me there if I had to rank. And then in terms of then the next sort of big leap qualitatively was to the digital transformation role at the Financial Times. And that was more deliberate, but it wasn't at all something I had planned to do. It was something that I discovered, as I mentioned, by doing where at France 24, I ended up evolving in different roles from the senior producer running news magazines to, to being the editorial director for the English language service. And as such, leading de facto a lot of the early days of digital transformation because somebody had to. And actually as it happened, I kind of stepped into a void that as much of the rest of the leadership just wasn't that interested in yeah. taking. And that's really what made me realize that, oh, this is a thing. And it's a thing that most newsrooms, especially traditional newsrooms, don't really know how to do. And that's when I discovered a taste for strategy per se, because it's not something you're trained to do or even to think of as being part of what a journalist does. Even, even what a newsroom manager does, strategy, what's that? Like that's a commercial thing. That's a business thing. And yet when it comes to transformation, there's a real way in which there's a methodology to it. And that's a little bit more related to strategy. And I discovered, I just happened to like that. And when this sort of role at the Financial Times found me, I thought, oh gosh, I can maybe have a kind of hybrid role where I get to be and think and develop strategy that didn't exist before, but in the context of a newsroom. And I had seen those roles begin to develop in the US, where again, I think that at the time, this is about 2014, 2013, 2015, US newsrooms were definitely a few to many years ahead of European newsrooms yeah. in terms of being the first to create these roles and really realize that they were that there was an importance for these kind of hybrid roles. I think the New York Times and then the Wall Street Journal were the first in terms mm. of the bigger legacy newsrooms to create audience and analytics leadership. And so I, I had my eye on those. I'd seen those pop up. And so that 
really, it was a convergence of like, huh, this is a thing happening. Oh, I think it might sort of be the thing that I realized I sort of like to do. Oh, look, I can maybe go do it. And that's sort of what happened. That's so interesting. We talked about some of the things that you're really great at and that help you excel in these large transformational strategic roles. What are some of the things that didn't always come easy? What are some of the things that you potentially still struggle with? What are some of the leadership or management traits that don't come entirely natural to you? Always a good question because do you know what? It is still, for me personally, a work in progress. I consider myself a perpetual student of management and leadership because it is so completely a different experience demanding a different balance of skills and proportion of different things depending on the context. So, you know, for example, I'm about to embark on a new leadership role in a completely different type of media than the one I was in before. And I consider myself quite fortunate and lucky to be bringing a lot of experience from different kinds of newsrooms already and feel quite confident and, and, and strong in a way. And actually, this is one of the wonderful pleasures of being an older, slightly older person now. You know, I recently had a, a relatively big birthday and, you know, I've been working for 25 years and there's a real pleasure that comes with a kind of quiet confidence that I just mm -hmm. didn't have even maybe five or six years ago and certainly not 10 years ago. But in being a student, what I still continue to be less good at is, is managing up. Mm. I'm pretty good at managing down. I really value my teams and value recruitment and really take and will have in the trajectory of my career from the very first days of being a young leader at France 24, I really took pride in, in being able to have the privilege to spot talent and give people a chance. And maybe even people who didn't have traditional backgrounds or trajectories or that I sort of saw something and, and being able to have that opportunity as a professional in a newsroom to me always seemed such a privilege. And then I realized slowly but surely that I also really needed to manage horizontally because in terms of the day-to-day -day getting things done and even being able to give the people you hire and bring into your teams and the teams you build an opportunity, you need to be able to have a really great collaborative relationship with people at your level or more or less around your level or across teams. And that takes a lot of time actually in a way that almost takes more time managing down and is less obvious one to do. But maybe because I was never a natural networker, I really had often failed, I think, to manage up and failed in a way that was naive. And I think I learned a few things the hard way that were really, really useful. And useful not to necessarily give me more of a taste for it. <laughs> but although again, I, I guess I'm now sort of on the upper end of the up, which is helpful just because I'm older yeah. and more experienced now. Um, but that now makes the managing horizontally more of a challenge too, because yeah. there are fewer horizontals in, in my next newsroom, which, which I think by the way is, is, as I'm discovering culturally, I think it's quite, quite hierarchical. So I guess it's, you know, to sum up, it's, it's stating the obvious to say that there are those three kinds of, of management. And I think they're differently important at different times, mm -hmm. even in the course of a, of a first year, especially in a role. But I think that one of the things I've really learned and will take to heart 
is in, in those sort of first three and six months of my new job, it will be really focusing quite deliberately on figuring out how to make sure that I'm doing all three of those kinds of management. Yeah. And I think it's really about kind of reaching that point where, where you're aware of these things that don't come naturally to you, right? I mean, it's not about becoming perfect in every discipline. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's impossible, right? It's more about that awareness and kind of building, you know, building systems that allow you to not to become a failure or that to become something that kind of diminishes your work in a way, right? Or absolutely in the or even systems, that's a really good way of putting it. Like even if there's sort of personal systems about yeah. being aware of what you may not be doing just yet yeah. or what you know you need to do, but haven't really gotten to or building in sense checks, you know, building in moments, whether that can be an external sense check, a checking in with a fellow leader a regular, a little bit of a personal plan that is the reflection of your formal public plan for your first couple of months. And, you know, but, but absolutely building in some kind of thing. Yeah. And I I agree. Like I tend to think in systems and and would call it a system. Other people might call it something different. You know, they might call it a a checklist or a reminder or whatever it is. A support network or whatever. Yeah. But absolutely remind so that you can just realize, okay, what, what am I not doing that I really should maybe be doing now or, or, or what have I necessarily overlooked or or how should I maybe slightly refocus the balance of where I'm investing my efforts? Or now that I've done a lot of this, but when I can begin to see that there's a little bit of an establishment and it's okay to take a little bit of a step back from that piece, maybe I can now move to this piece because you don't actually have to do it all at once. And that was the only thing I've learned. Oh man, that's one of the best things I've learned over time. And this may seem like sting me obvious again, but as someone who is a little bit persistent and ambitious, not so much personally, although probably I'm ambitious personally as well, but, 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 but more importantly, ambitious about what I'm trying to accomplish in the context of my role and, and what I've kind of engaged myself to accomplish yeah. and, and what people might expect from me. I tend to want to go fast, but change and transformation and frankly, even most content production and editorial development in traditional newsrooms is rarely fast. And it was probably faster at the Financial Times where that it was, you know, it's a media with a daily output. And, you know, in, in my next newsroom, I, there is a daily news bulletin, which is an important part of the news output, but it's once a day and yeah. it's, you know, and it's important feature dominated show. So there's a different kind of way in which naturally the speed of, of the culture isn't necessarily fast, but really what I've actually learned over time the hard way only for me because it wasn't my nature is not fast is actually sometimes better and okay and that transformation is almost always one thing at a time yeah because everything takes resource everything has an opportunity cost everything will probably take more investment of time people resource effort communication and after the fact, customer service than you thought it would. And that one thing at a time is okay, actually, and sometimes better. Yeah, that's super smart. A lot of leaders who basically work in that field that you work in, that digital transformation, somehow kind of intersectional, interdisciplinary audience strategy, business, editorial management roles. Mm. As they climb up the ladder, one thing they feel is that it's getting lonelier and lonelier. Is that something that you felt in your career? How do you manage to kind of build 
a resilient like system for the lack of a better word a mm -hmm. network that lifts you through the harder times of mm -hmm. leadership Do you know what's interesting anita i'll be honest i feel very fortunate in that i've not felt yet maybe that sense of loneliness and i've definitely it's an issue i'm aware of it and i've had a lot of conversations about it among our peers and, and, and my own peers. And you and I have even discussed that, I think, at, at different moments, yeah. um, in, in our own kind of respective trajectories around this sort of digital transformation field or sector or industry, so to speak, because it's becoming one, I suppose. And actually, I felt it less and less in part because I think that as part of that sort of slightly harder earned lesson, that I was evoking before about managing up and horizontally, you know, which were two things that came slightly less naturally to me than managing down. I really realized the benefits to me and to my role and to my quality as a journalist and a, and a leader to really spend time building those relationships, yeah. both within my organization and especially without outside of my organization. I realized in retrospect that at the start of my leadership path, I suppose now over 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I so didn't prioritize it that it, I thought of it as almost being a waste of time. And then I'll never forget how one of the very first times in the earlier, in the early years of, of my career, as a, as a, of, of the piece of my career as a young leader, I remember I was going away for those wonderfully long French holidays of three weeks. <laughs> and it was the first time I'd taken a three-week vacation because it was the first in, in my first couple of years in France. And so someone, my, one of my deputies was stepping in for me in those three weeks. And I remember giving him the advice that I said out loud for the first time and have then given it again and again, mostly to myself, take the time to listen, take the time to share, because that's actually what networking is, so to speak. And that's actually what relationship building is. And it can feel in the rush of daily output and managing content and editing and rewriting and hiring and staffing and running and liaising and dealing with, you know, all the things you deal with when you're running both people and teams and journalism and content. There are so many things that seem concerned to be more urgent and real, so to speak. That is very real and very mm. important. And taking the time to do that and feeling confident and comfortable that it was legitimate time is one of the most important things that I think experience and maturity yeah. has revealed to me. And that's been the absolutely precious piece of, I think what's made me feel actually need up more and more supported. I feel like more and more I'm surrounded by people, whether they're directly related to the field of what I've been doing or a few degrees over or indirectly. But I feel not only that more and more people understand what I've been doing, and maybe that's my persistence and patience and, and overall understand what digital transformation yeah. is and value it. And that's helpful. And it's taken a long time. But I also feel like the more the more time I have spent thinking and sharing knowledge and experience, the better a leader I become and the better I become at my job. Yeah. And that that's a virtuous circle that's made me feel increasingly more supported rather than less. Yeah. And I hope great. it continues. That's great. I do. And it's such a wonderful advice to take 
taking the time to listen and taking, taking the time to share. And as you're saying that I was thinking, is that why it's sometimes so hard to kind of adjust to that hybrid zoom filled world because everything is becoming so transactional and our meetings are becoming so transactional that we don't have those serendipitous moments automatically built in where you just like listen and then you just share just because it doesn't really you know have space in a 25 minute zoom meeting do you think that's part of why why hybrid is so hard and why this adjustment to that new remote work world is so hard for some news organizations that's a really interesting question because it's like you're right you know we sort of in a totally hybrid, perfectly hybrid world, which as we all know, does not exist and is still a work in progress and actually don't think exists. I don't think there's a perfect hybrid world. Mm. I think there's an absolutely feasible, productive and, and editorially interesting hybrid world. I don't think there's a perfect one. Is it really possible to build in and schedule listening time or sharing time? Yeah, I guess it is. And to some extent, some of the ways in which I do share and listen and feel like I'm growing and building on this virtuous circle of a community. A lot of it is virtual actually, because so, you know, I'll give a concrete example. When I accepted my new role, part of what's very new about this role, very different from my previous role is that it is indeed for a public network and for a continental European network and and it's a somewhat more global network. Mostly it's, it's that, it's that public aspect. And I realized to my delight that in this broader network of people in my digital transformation space and in my newsroom leadership space that I had built through often informal and indeed in-person sharing over the years in, I would say the past 10 years, a lot of them, it turns out, were leaders of public media in Norway, in Sweden, in France. And I could reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, it was great seeing you last time I saw you at this conference or in that call we had, or when you visited London, or, you know, a couple years ago when I came through on my, you know, Scandinavian country tour, whatever it was, there was a point of content. And I can say, I wanted to share some personal news. I'm, I'm now sort of moving closer into your space. And that was something that took time that I didn't necessarily have as I was transitioning from one world yeah. to another, but time that I realized would be precious. And that's, I mean, to answer your question in a slightly roundabout way, that's a concrete example where actually none of those people are geographically close to me and there's nothing in the diary that's, that's necessarily sort of showing that I'll see them, you know, before mine and maybe your favorite conference still, which is Perugia in April. April's a long time away. I'm starting my new job in two weeks. And, uh, and I want to, you know, and I want to have some good conversations before them because there's so much that I can learn from these colleagues because they're doing what I'm about to go do. And so that's where hybrid and virtual is actually going to be incredibly useful. Yeah. But I do think it needs to be a good and right balance. And on the one hand, serendipity and kind of, you know, creativity chaos or the chaos of of serendipity or the creative chaos of serendipity as there are lots of terms for it is probably a little bit overrated in terms of being the only way, but I I really do think it needs to be a mixture of both and, and the listening and sharing. If people are completely remote and increasingly people are, then I think you definitely literally need to schedule it and build it in. Yeah. Do you you see 
both in your own organizations, but also broadly speaking in the industry, do you see that, that tension, that partly generational tension as well between, you know, that push back to the office and then, you know, a large group of people saying, well, we don't want to do that. We kind of figured out that life is quite good if you see your kids to bed and if you can take a walk in the middle of the day. Is that something that you also experience uh, De- in your surroundings? And definitely. And, you know, it's, it's top of the agenda and a complicated yeah. part of the, of the pandemic for, you know, and, and, and the transition through the different peaks of the pandemic. And, you know, cause at the time, of course I was, I was at the financial times still, and, um, there was a real preference for the editor in chief or from the editor in chief to come back pretty quickly and pretty completely. And that didn't happen. Because culturally at that point, things had really evolved. And what ended up happening, and I think this is an important aspect again, that is an echo of a little bit of of something I was mentioning earlier in our conversation. That was a radical change that was in some ways imposed on us that nobody chose and nobody led necessarily until we kind of caught up with it and realized, okay, how do we get in front of this now or out in front of it, so to speak, and, and lead rather than being led by it. But like all radical transformations, it took time. It took yeah. time for there to figure out, for us to figure out, for the editor in chief and then, you know, the different team leaders to figure out how do we create a better balance between what people think they want, mm. what people maybe aren't even aware of what they're losing by not doing anymore, of what they lost perspective of because they haven't been doing it for two years, of what they're maybe over indexing, of what they're maybe not aware of actually not loving about their new thing, you know, all of which takes time in, in terms to figure out, okay, what is the right and proper balance look like? And then figure out how to incentivize people to find their place yeah. in what organizationally is a right and proper balance. So again, I think it's still a work in progress. Yeah. And I do think it's in, in the sense, I do think it's still evolving and we're still figuring it out. But I do think that that's what it's about and that sometimes the resistance, which was real, not always in my case, generational, actually, sometimes the younger generations were the ones who were happiest to come back. Yeah. Perhaps because they didn't have children or as many, or maybe didn't live as far away. Or, and again, London's quite a unique example because of the sort of geography of, of the city. Um, and you know, but look, every newsroom was, was different in its way. And um, is is the management of younger generations a very different experience than the management of, let's say, my generation was by my leadership? For sure. But that's almost entirely separate from like the hybrid work issue. Anything that you can share, any reflections you can share about that element, managing younger generations, anything you learned about leading younger teams, Gen Z millennial teams? That more than ever, listening is vitally important because there's a really different sense of entitlement to being heard. Yeah. And no matter what you think about that, as a leader, it's real. And I think it's characteristic of a generation and a time and a culture of work. So I think it's really important to integrate that sense. Yeah. And 
It means being heard professionally. It means being heard personally. It means being heard quite literally, even when you might not be a person who feels comfortable expressing yourself in a time when more than ever, you know, diverse skill sets are being valued and a diversity of learning and expression is also being valued. So I think that's a really important aspect of how I think about management. But if I'm honest, I actually try to be generationally agnostic when it comes to what I think of as good management, because actually who doesn't want to be heard? Maybe, yeah. you know, so I mean, should this be is like, quite universal, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and you know, this is all the theory. And then of course the reality <laughs> and, and when you get down to it is it's person by person and team yeah. by team and newsroom by newsroom. We're nearly at the end of our conversation. So I'd love to end with the question that I always end on. If you could give your younger self, young Renee, at the very early days, months of her career, some advice on leadership, on careers, on life, what advice would you give yourself? Always look for, and you will find a mentor. <laughs> many mentors of many flavors in everything that you do. And when you're a student and you're figuring out your major, if you happen to be studying in the United States, when maybe you go on to grad school and you know, you're writing a thesis, when you start your first job, if you go straight into that, when you're even a little bitty intern doing, I don't know, a two-week internship as a student in journalism school, look for a mentor, whether it's for five days or five years or many decades. And it's something I didn't do enough of. And maybe that's in the bucket of managing up, so to speak. <laughs> but I, I really wish I'd done it earlier, sooner, better, and realized, frankly, that I was entitled to it. And I always yeah. felt maybe that I, you know, maybe this is a generational thing, or maybe it's a personal thing, a little bit of both. That I think early on, I didn't quite feel entitled to be heard. And maybe that's, that's a more, that's a way to say now what, what then I would have meant, you know, who can I speak to who's going to care? More yeah. people care than you think. So finding mentors. I love that. Thank you for sharing that advice, Renee. And in general, thank you so much for taking time oh, for this and you, conversation. This is such a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And you've really given me lots of interesting... This was um, wonderful. Well, interesting <laughs> questions to think through at exactly the right time for me as I'm about to start my new gig and I'm going to be the new kid in, in two weeks. So, so wish me luck. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks for being again. here, Renee. <laughs> This was today's episode of Better Leaders. If you enjoyed it, please do follow us and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Missing Link. 